0: Well, good morning. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here and have been for almost nine years and fill the pulpit on most Sunday mornings. Um, if I don't know you, I would love to get to know you. If You can come up after the service, and it's hard for me to get to everybody, but I'd love to uh, introduce myself and get to know you just a little bit. We're starting a sermon series today, so if this is your first time, it's a great time to be here. Uh, we're starting a sermon series. that's probably going to last at least four weeks. We could go a little longer than that. And Talking about something that is extremely important in our lives and something that I am just now kind of starting to understand even though I've heard this kind of teaching ever since I was a baby Christian, which was like 23 years ago. And it's, it's teaching on, on what is called your identity in, in Christ. Our, our identities are, are really important and our identities can be in a lot of different things. You see the graphic up here? Is your identity could be in your skill and your uh, your abilities that you that you have? When you have somebody like a like a Tom Brady who's been a quarterback for a long time and he's getting ready to maybe this year, next year, or something, whenever retire, what is his identity going to be? That now that he no longer throws a football and people pat him on the back for that, and uh, his identity could be in something very good, or it could be if it's in football, what's he going to do after? football. And there you hear a lot of times of athletes that really, really struggle once their career is over because that's who they were and that's who they understood themselves to be. Some people's identities in, 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 in their job, you know, when, when guys introduce themselves, hey, my name's Mark, my name's Joe, or whatever, and then pretty quickly we go, well, what do you do for a living? I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying to talk about more important stuff first. Like, Tell me about your family or something like that. But a lot of times your identity is, is in, in a job, your bank account, your kids, um, image, social media, self. Can I step on some toes here? Can I do it? This is going to get some emails, okay? Okay. I just don't understand the selfie thing, okay? (laughs) And it seems like sometimes selfies are put on Facebook just so everybody can say, oh, you look beautiful. Your makeup is gorgeous. And I wonder, and I don't know this, I wonder, uh, is that where someone's identity is? I don't know. I really don't. But our social media self is different than our real self many times. Our mistakes, that thing that you did, that thing that happened to you, does that define you? Is that where your identity is? When you think of yourself, you still think about that time, that mistake, that whatever it was, and all the other things that are on there. Identity is, is your identity is where you you get your self worth. When you think of yourself, what do you think about? You you have a lot of different roles you play in life. I'm a, I'm a I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I'm a pastor, in in that order. But it's really hard to keep them in that order. My Facebook page, you know, says. You know, usually people say something about what they do, and I say, I'm a Christian, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a pastor, but I struggle to keep them in the right order. And I know I'm not the only one. Because us guys, many times especially, struggle with our identity being in what we do. And that we earn our identity. And the problem with earning your identity is that you can lose your identity when you no longer have earned it. If you achieve your identity, then you can lose it in some way. I, I, how do you see about, what do you, when you think of yourself, what do you think about? How do you see yourself? What's your self-image? All this is your identity. Who validates you? That's huge. Who validates you? verse that I always talk about from Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 43, speaking of the Pharisees, really religious people of the day, says they cared more for the praise of men than they did for the praise of God. Their validation was in men. And I wonder how many times in our lives does our validation come from other people. Can I be honest with you on a little identity crisis I had a couple of weeks ago? I was, I was at Kinsey, a Thursday night at Kinsey, I think. And so, Levi was with me. And Levi has inherited my gift of sarcasm, okay? And it's not the very best thing that I passed on to him. And so, I have no one to blame for this but myself. And I understand Levi's sarcasm, And it usually gives me a chuckle. But you know what? Everybody doesn't understand sarcasm. (laughs) So I don't even remember what the situation was. But I said something to Levi, and he gave me back a sarcastic answer. That if I'm okay at that moment, I would have probably chuckled and and kind of, yeah, that kind of sounds like me. I'd answered that way too. But there was someone else standing there. And that sarcastic answer could have easily could have easily been interpreted as being a smart aleck toward his dad. Now I know my boy and I know when he's being smart aleck toward me and I know when he's being sarcastic and he was being sarcastic. But at that moment what went on in my brain was this person they think I'm a bad dad. They think my son treats me like this all the time. I better get on Levi just so they know I'm a good dad. And I corrected him probably much harder than I should have corrected him, not because he necessarily deserved that, but because my identity at that moment was in that person and what that person thought of me. I had an identity crisis right there in Kinsey. Now, don't be disappointed in me. You've done the same thing. Who validates you? Even though that you play a lot of different roles in life, even though that you wear a lot of different hats, what's true about you in all of those roles? That's your identity. What's true about you in all of those roles? And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian that should be the fact that you are an adopted son or daughter of the living God. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Now, I could spend the next 50 minutes listing all the things that God's Word says about who you really are. Admittedly, we don't always act that way, but the Bible says something very interesting. It says we are hidden in Christ Christ. Now, I don't know if I can ever totally wrap my mind around that. Certainly can't teach that to you very well. Because I, if I don't have my mind wrapped around it, how can I teach it? But the Bible says we are hidden in Christ. The Bible says in Christ, we are new creations. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel very new. And there are times I don't act very new. The Bible says the old has passed away. And the new has come, meaning the way that God looks at us. So, God literally pronounces an identity upon us, and then we are to live that identity out. Everything else in the world is opposite. We work to achieve an identity, but now God says, This is your identity, now live that out. The world is exactly the opposite. We work, we strain, we strain, and then somehow we get an identity because I've earned it and I've achieved it. God is just the opposite. Here you are, you are an adopted son of the living God, simply because of grace and you exercise faith. Now, the rest of your life, you work that out. And what it means to be a new creation in Christ. (laughs) This is deep, deep stuff. And, And so deep that I truly don't think I totally understand it. But I think that if I did, I think total understanding of proper identity revolutionizes your life. Because I think identity determines behavior. It certainly determined my behavior behavior at Kinsey. I think identity determines behavior. I don't know about you, but the first beer I ever drank was not because I wanted to drink it. It was because Chuck Mattingly and Philip Hampton would have made fun of me if I didn't. So in the back seat of, of a 67 Chevy Malibu, on, on Military Pike in Lexington, Kentucky, I had my first drink of beer, and it tasted nasty. But I wouldn't let them know it. What was my identity at that moment? Who validated me at that moment? Identity determined my behavior. I was raised in a home and I've never ever heard my mother or father curse, never. And I got to be eighth grade, and I never ever cursed. I was, but I was out on a golf course one day. I know none of you have ever cursed on a golf course. I know that. <laughs> but Greg Hauser and I were on a golf course, and he had a poor shot, and he looked, he looked at me and goes, "Cuss me." I never cussed anybody in my life. I mean, I didn't know if I knew how to cuss anybody. You know, I'd heard cuss words and stuff, but I'd never done it. And He goes, cuss me! So I let it fly, man. I mean, it, you know, if we could have a tape of it here, we'd probably die laughing. It probably didn't make any sense. I didn't know how to cuss. <laughs> Where was my identity at that moment? My identity is when someone else thought of me. And we all, when we're young, my boys are in their teenage years. A lot of you have kids in their teenage years. They're working through those struggles of identity and who validates them. We all work through those. But those don't end with the teenage years, do they? Who, who are you, Really? Your your deepest, most personal self, who are you? Who validates you? What is your self-image? What gives you worth and status in this life? And that's some of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next uh, few weeks. There's There's a fascinating little passage of Scripture that I love. It's in 2 Samuel, and none of you... Will probably ever remember this passage because it's just a little story that doesn't get preached on very much. But man, this 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 absolutely absolutely shocks me, and it tells us something about identity. Um, King David in in Second Samuel um, has a real bad time. I don't have time to to give you all context. Uh, his 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 his. Absalom is, is uh, taking him off his throne and King David and his mighty men are walking out defeated a bunch of people out of Jerusalem. And they're walking out defeated. It's one of the lowest moments of David's life. And this character that doesn't show up very often in scripture, his name is Shimei, I think shows up three times in scripture all right here in this story. Shimei comes and just, is just cursing David and just, just piling curses upon him and, and just talking about what a horrible person he is and just really beating him when he's down. And so David and his men were walking out of town, and one of his men basically says, in in the Atherton translation says, you want me to go take care of him? And David basically goes, you know, no, maybe the Lord's using him to show me what a mess I've made. Okay, in a a few chapters later, the the story is then turned. David has returned to his throne. He's back in Jerusalem now as the king of Israel. Uh, Things are back the way they should be. And here comes the guy that cussed David. And cursed him and made fun of David when he was down. His name is Shimei. And Shimei comes now to David. Now that David is back on his throne. And things are as they should be. Shimei comes back. And and scriptures say this in 2 Samuel 19. Shimei says, may my Lord. And that's just not Lord like Lord Jesus. Lord means sir when it's all in lower caps that way. "May, May Sir, will you not hold me guilty? I do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord, the king, left Jerusalem. Uh, may the king put that out of his mind. This guy's scared for his life. He's basically what he is. Because when new kings come in, they take care of their enemies. And that's what you did back then. And probably to some degree, you still do it now, but we do it in a different way. But back then, you just, you, you took care of them. You, you had their head. Okay? Scripture continues. Uh, For I, your servant, know that I have sinned, but today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord, the King. I'm the first one of my whole tribe who's come. Look how much I think of you, Shimei says. Okay? (laughs) Then Abshai, son of Zerah, said, shouldn't Shimei be put to death for what he did back three chapters ago in the Bible? Shouldn't Shimei... He cursed... The Lord's anointed. And then the scripture continues. David replied, what does this have to do with you, you sons of Zerah? What right do you have to interfere? Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? And then here's a sentence that's just just a mouthful for me. David says, don't I know that today I'm the king? Why have I got to kill somebody to prove I'm the king? Why have I got to put on a show of my power? To, don't you know that I know who I am? I don't have to prove to you. Or I have to, I have to prove to anybody else around here who I I know who I am. Don't you know that I know I'm the king? If he had some kind of identity crisis at that moment, he could have said, uh, yeah, I need to show everybody that I'm the ruler and I'm back large and in charge again, and, and, and here off with Shimei's head. And he, he looked at the guy and said, man, I mean, I, I know who I am. I know I'm the king. I don't have to go prove to anybody I'm the king. I know I am. See, when you know who you are, it determines your behavior. When you know who you are, when your identity is is, is validated in, in and in a, in a good place, uh, you're pretty much on track in your Christian life. When you know that you're an adopted son or daughter of the living God and you operate out of that identity, everything changes. The way I react to you changes. The, the way I react to her changes. The way I react to this person changes. The way I walk changes. The way I talk changes. Because... Th- I know who validates me. You don't validate me. You don't validate me. That achievement, that trophy on the wall doesn't validate me. I know who I am. Don't you know I know who I am? Don't you know that? David said, don't you know that I know that I'm the king of Israel? I had this thought this week. None of us operate out of our perfect, out of our identities, all the time. In fact, let me let you in a little something that preachers usually don't tell you. At the end of this story here of David, at the end of David's life, he forgets who he was, and he goes and says, "Put Shimei to death." We we have some spiritual amnesia, and that's why over and over and over again, over 140 times in the New Testament. Paul, or one of the writers, is talking about us being in Christ with that little phrase, in Christ. It's not always that phrase in Christ, but it means the same thing. It, it may say in him or in Jesus, but it means in Christ. You are in Christ. And over and over and over and over again, it's pounded in our, our, he, our heads to take off the old self and to put on the new self, which the Bible says, <laughs> Paul says, listen, is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so this teaching needs to be continually heard time and time again. And, and, and I need to continue to talk to myself and let the truth of God's Word talk to myself on, on who gives me validation in my life and who I really am. I'm not at that moment a parent who is not disciplining his son like he should. And that's what my flesh or the devil or somebody said to me on that moment that I had that little identity crisis When you know who you are, everything changes. There's a story in John 13 about Jesus. In John 13, chapter 1, this story comes up. It was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So basically, he knew he was coming to his death. Okay? Next slide. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of uh, uh, Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3. Here we go. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, semicolon. So basically, the, the, the Holy Spirit is inspiring John to write, that Jesus knew who he was. He, said he, he knew that, he, that God had put all things under his control. Jesus knew this. And that he had come from God and will be returning to God. So basically, the writer doesn't say this, but this is exactly what the writer means. Jesus knew who he was. And so we have the very next verse that starts with so. Okay? Okay. But because he knew who he was, so. And the very next verse says in verse 4, so he got up. And basically, (laughs) the next two verses say he washed the disciples' feet. Let me tell you, when you know who you are, you can do those things that other people may think would be beneath you. He stooped to serve. The one who should have been receiving stuff from other people, he stooped to do the most menial task of a lowly servant. And why could he do that? And I'm not making this up. It's right in Scripture, friends. It said, he knew that the Father had put all things under his control and that he had come from, come from God and was returning from God. So, he stooped to serve. And, I, and, and you've all been in situations where somebody was surprised that, that the boss or the president of the company did that or something I'm tell you, you know, because presidents or the boss, they don't have to do that kind of stuff. But, you know, presidents and bosses and whoever, they can do whatever needs to be done if they know who they are. Presidents of companies don't take out the trash. They pay people to take out the trash. But it's not beneath them. They know who they are, and they can take the trash out because the custodian is sick today or whatever. Even though other people may say, wow, I mean, look, I mean, now if I'm worried about that you don't know who I am, and I'm, I'm so validated by what you think of me, then probably I won't do that, and somehow that is beneath me, and I, I won't do that because I'll get somebody else to do that, because after all, you know, I, 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 you know, this is my company. Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things under his control, and that he... Had come from God and was returning to God. He stooped to serve. Every now and then somebody will say something like, um, Well, the pastor shouldn't have to do that. You know, pastor shouldn't have to do that. And and at the at the very best, that means, um, you know, the pastor should, you know, lay people should be filling their roles, and pastor. Uh, not that he's too good to do that but he, there are things that desire his attention anybody can do this but there are things that only he can do and he needs to spend his time there and that, at the best that's what that means and that's okay but at the worst what that means is he's a pastor and he shouldn't do that uh, if you know who you are you can stoop to serve No matter what someone would say or what the world says or what the church growth seminars say or whatever, if you know who you are. Now, if the pastor is always around emptying every trash can and stuff, that's just sick, okay? I mean, but that doesn't mean that that is somehow beneath him because he knows who he is. He can do a menial task. Jesus, knowing who he was, took off his garment and wash the disciples feet who are you i mean at the really at the at the most base at the most deepest fundamental part of you who are you who validates you what is your identity that's what we're talking about and i think it's a crucial crucial christian topic <laughs> Uh, there's a, there's another story in Second Samuel chapter, chapter six. David is is bringing the ark, ark, uh, the ark of God back into Jerusalem. Now I, I don't need to take seven to ten minutes to explain what the ark of God is. Let's just say it was something that it was even in Moses's time, where the tablets that God engraved the Ten Commandments on were kept, and the ark of God had gotten lost and it got put in different places and was a symbol of God's presence. And David felt like that ark needed to be in. Uh, Jerusalem. And so David was going to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. This was a, a huge achievement and something everybody was really fired up and excited about. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6 the Bible says this. Now King David was told the Lord had blessed the house of, of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. The, the, for whatever reason the ark of God was in the house of Obed-Edom. What a name that is. But he was in the house that he was in his house. So David went to bring the ark out of that house to the city of David, and he did that with rejoicing. Next slide. When they were carrying the ark of God, when they were carrying the ark of the Lord, had taken six steps, when those, excuse me, when those who were carrying had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. That's that's because that's what Deuteronomy said do, okay? All right, next slide. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. So he was just so excited that he was doing what he felt like God wanted him to do and bring the ark back to its rightful place into Jerusalem. Okay, next passage. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpet. They were having a high time, okay? And they were all excited about doing this. Next slide. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, who was also David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Here he was bringing the ark in and had all of his musicians around him and they were just having a big old time and they were so excited about doing this and they were displaying it with with, uh, music and dancing and leaping before the Lord. Next slide. When David returned home to bless his household, Micah, daughter of Saul, who was his wife, came out to meet him and said, listen to this, (laughs) how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. How sophisticated you look dancing and leaping before the Lord down there. How kingly did you look? You certainly didn't, you certainly looked distinguished and sophisticated, didn't you, David? You were going around half naked. Now, listen, they didn't wear underwear back then, okay? And he had a linen ephod on, which basically was a skirt, and he was dancing before the Lord, man. And he was probably flashing some slaves girls as he did that. (laughs) And Micah says, you're just praying around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Next slide. David said to Micah, it was before the Lord. He says, it was before the Lord. Who chose me rather than your father. You know, that's one of the things she's really still got a little thorn in her side about. You've got to know your Old Testament for that. But Who chose me instead of your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord, he says. Next, sli- next slide. And then he goes, I will become even more indignified than this. You think you were, be- you think you were embarrassed to me before? You watch me now. And so Matt Redman wrote a song in 1995. Nobody really heard about it in 95, and then Crowder covered it, and Tomlin covered it, and everybody thought it was a cool song then that they covered it. But I will dance, I will sing, to be mad, M-A-D, to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, can hinder this passion in my soul, and I'll become even more undignified than this. Lay my pride by my side, Some charismatic churches heard that song. They were hanging from the chandeliers when they hear stuff like that. (laughs) But the issue was his identity within the Lord. I I may not look very presidential here. I may not look very kingly here. I may not look like the king of all of Israel here. And you you certainly may not like that. And you may not like this display right here. But my validation, it was before the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord, he says. Huh. When you know who you are, you can stoop to serve. When you know who you are, you can, you can praise God with all your might, no matter what old lady hit hair up in a bun says. And uh, in, it was before the Lord. My validation comes from him. One more thing and we're done. Uh, when you know who you are, you can be really, really honest. See, I think us Christians have a problem. I, 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 think, I think we tell Christian lies all the time. Uh, because we, um, we have to keep up a spiritual front. And we have to impress you with how spiritual we are because we certainly don't want you to think that I'm less spiritual than I really am. And so we think things that make us sound really, really spiritual. They're not at all true about what's going on in their life, but we certainly don't want the pastor to think, or we certainly don't want anybody in our small group to think, or we certainly don't want anybody at church to think that, you know, that, that I'm struggling here. And But as we look through many pages in the Bible, we see that God really honors honesty and being real. He says in in Revelation chapter 3 he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold but get out of this mucky, lukewarm middle. You'd be on fire for me? Or you can be a long way from me. Just be honest about it. Just be honest about it. Don't put on airs in front of other people. He says, if you're in this mucky, nothing, lukewarm middle, he says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I just want people that will be real. And for you to be real uh, with the Lord, your validation has to come from Him because other people won't like it when you get real because it will take their excuse away for not being real. David says in Psalm 109, this is David now. This is a man after God's own heart. Uh, He says, My God whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. Appoint someone uh, evil to oppose my enemy. Uh, let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. Well, don't, don't just bless your heart. He, that's the kind of guy you ask to close the service in prayer, isn't it? I mean, that don't sound, that don't, that don't sound very nice. In fact, I'm offended. But David is being honest. And he continues to basically, he says, May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless. And his wife a widow. Whatever David David is praying about, whatever this situation was with this person, David is just being flat out dead honest with God. Because you know why that's good? Because God knows it anyway. And you pray this little flowery, pretty prayer because it's what you're supposed to say and what they taught you in Sunday school. And God, I think, just looks at you and goes, would you just be honest? Your heart is not good toward that person. Would you just pour that out to me right now? When you know who you are, when your validation is from Him, when you know that you're an adopted child of the living God, I can be real, man. And only only when I'm real can people, listen, listen. Only when I'm real can people really know me. Only when I know who I am can people really know know me, because if I don't know who I am, I put up an image for you. Who are you? Who validates you? Who do you want praise from more than anyone else? Well, I want it from God. Well, Then why did I get on my boy harder than I should just because what this guy was thinking about me at Kinsey? At that moment, I had an identity crisis. And I wasn't walking in my identity as an adopted son of the living God. I I think this. And I don't know anyone that totally walks fully in their identity all of the time. And that's probably why Paul just constantly brings this up over over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know anyone that does that. But if someone did, I think they would pretty much be a perfect, sinless person. Because if I'm always operating out of my identity, and my identity is in Christ, I'm not sure I'd be any less than perfect in my humanity. But we have identity crises all the time for lots of reasons. The biggest probably because what other people would think of me. And I'll become even more undignified than this. Lay my pride by my side. You sang songs today about the fact that you're a child of God. That's a nice little religious thing to do. Good for you. But big deal. What does it mean when you leave this place? You come in here and we do a nice, I do it too. We do a nice little religious thing, we sing about all these marvelous truths about who we are in Christ, and then I go out and I have an identity crisis because of some person here doesn't think I'm the parent that I ought to be because of whatever. Identity is huge. Why was it at the University of Kentucky when I was involved with the basketball program there The Coach Hall was always telling the freshmen and sophomores, you gotta know what name is written on your chest. And he was trying to say, you play for Kentucky, things are different here. Because he was trying to get them to understand that because you're a Kentucky basketball player, that determines your behavior. You could say the same thing for Ohio State. You could say the same thing for any major college. Because everyone knows that identity determines behavior. So why do you do what you do? Because you receive validation there. And is that validation where you need to receive it? And is that validation in somewhere in conflict with validation from your father? It's great if I can receive validation from Sue and validation from my father in the, for the very same thing. That's Man, that's hitting on all cylinders right there. That I can receive validation from my boys and re- validation from God on, because of the very same act. Validation from you all and validation from God on the very same act. But when those things come into conflict... Where is my truest identity? It's huge, friends. It's just absolutely huge because identity determines behavior. I told you my story about my first beer. I told you my story about First time I cussed, you could probably stand and tell me yours, and it wouldn't be exactly the same, but I guarantee at the root of that, nine times out of ten would have been an identity issue. It would have been an identity issue. By the grace of God, can we walk out of here today saying, Lord, I need you to day after day remind me when I operate out of an identity that is not the best. I need you to convict me. I need you to bring it to my mind. Because some of you have never had this thought before. And, and some of you do things, and I was, trying to, I was trying to explain this to my boys. And, you know, at their 17 and 15, I'm not sure that they're fully developed enough mentally to really totally grasp this whole thing. I know I wasn't at that age. And you have to continually come back to it. Who am I? Who am I? If my primary identity is a husband, and Sue gets hit by a bus tomorrow, what happens to me? Now, if my identity is where it should be, I will grieve like everyone else grieves, and I will struggle with that like every other husband would struggle with that. But my life should not fall apart. I'll shed plenty of tears. I'll have to go to support groups and work through the grief just like everybody else would. But my life doesn't come to an end because my identity was not in her. My boys, they fly off the handle and they turn their back on Christ. And in 10 years from now, they're living off in a far country. If my identity was in as a parent, how could I handle that? I will still grieve. I will still pray for them. I'll still do everything I possibly can to bring them back into the fold. Of course. But it wouldn't be the same as if my whole life was wrapped around my kids and my self-worth was in the fact that my kids were going to college and have good jobs and six-figure incomes and And as I close, I'll be really, really honest with you because I think God honors realness. I left two churches too soon because my identity was in the attendance board. Now, I wonder, Harold, how many pastors could stand up and say I did the exact same thing. My worth was in, somehow was in how the church was doing And because the church wasn't doing well, I didn't feel well. And I had to take pills because the doctor said I was depressed and the only thing I really was was having an identity crisis. So, when I went back into the ministry and came here, I decided things were going to be different and why I love you all I kind of don't get freaked out when you disagree with me in fact I expect it I even say what I want to say on Facebook (laughs) somebody wrote on Facebook yesterday I know this guy and he says he has a business. He says, I really like to say what I think politically, but, you know, you have to keep the clients. What a horrible existence that would be. How, how your insides must churn daily when you really feel one way, but you can't say it because you've got to bow down to the clients, which means you're bowing down to almighty dollar. I'm done. I wish I'd been a really good pastor. If I was a really good pastor, I would have gone and got them little things that you wear at seminars and says "I am" and you put Mark or something there or "Hello, I am." And I'd given everybody one and tell you to go home and put it on your fridge and, or on your mirror in the morning because to remind you every single day of who you are. Who are you, really? Who are you? God says. You're an adopted child of his. And he has a reckless love for you. You believe that? (laughs) And I say, if we believe it, let's go act it out. Our servants are coming to the table. Father, There's a whole lot in this, and I'm not smart enough to dig it all out and don't even know at 61 if I understand it all, but it seems like this is an absolutely crucial topic to our Christian living, to being the people that you want us to be. Help us to realize that we don't have to go out and achieve our identity. You have given us an identity, and we are then just to live it out. Help us not to somehow go out and, and say we're working on it and trying to get better and I'm working on No, to r- literally believe that you have called us salt and light and then go out there by your grace to believe that enough to walk in that truth and walk around as a salt and light of Xenia, Ohio. Gosh, I, Lord, I just think this is huge. Help me to understand it so I can communicate it to these folks. Help us as we continue with this series. Help us to come around the table and know that our identity is not rooted in first in anything else other than what you have done for us. And all the rest that you talk about us starts with a fact that you loved us so much that you gave your son for us. And we remember that every single Sunday and know that that is foundational to everything. Help us as we come to the table in Jesus' name. Amen.